0: Okay, so then we're starting. I'm obviously not Dirk, and so I'm obviously not as cool as Dirk. So I don't have slides. Um, I'm gonna keep it the old, old-fashioned way of just talking with the, the board, like everyone else that is less cool than Dirk does. So uh, we're starting a new section, getting past the decrees of God into, if you recall, we ended up the last section with the question: What? How does God execute His decrees? He executes his decrees and his works of creation and his works of providence. So uh, for the next nine-ish weeks, we're going to be going over the works of creation. And then after that, obviously, will come the works of providence. We will consider those a little bit more. But myself, I'm just going to consider the works of creation, which revolves around two questions in the Baptist Catechism. Um, I guess I should have prefaced this by that because I see some new faces here. We've been going through for the past... Uh, year-ish, going through the questions of the Baptist Catechism. There's uh, quite a few of them, and it's going to take us four or five years to get through all of them. Uh, So we're rotating through, going through those questions, and kind of doing a deep dive into each of the questions and expositing some of the things that are in there. And so now we're at question 12 and 13 that we're going to be considering over the next nine or so weeks of creation. And so we're going to begin like we've begun every other lesson in stating the catechisms, and since we've got two, we'll go over both of them. And so I'm going to read the question, and you're going to help me in answering it. So, What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days, and all very good. Okay, great. And then question 13. Question 13. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. Okay, great job. So, we're going to consider all of this. <clears throat> and we're going to do kind of a deep dive. I've broken this down into quite a few lessons, probably eight more. Today is going to be an intro lesson, creation intro, and just to go ahead and let you know, today's going to be shorter for uh, mainly so we can help set up this area for the harvest meal, um, so Ashley doesn't have to do all the work by herself, so I'm going to enlist the, the work of some of you strong men to move some stuff. But uh, before then, we're going to do a creation intro, and then we're going to go kind of phrase by phrase here through some things, just to kind of give you an outline of where we're going. First, we're going to go works of creation is God making all things of nothing. So we're gonna next week, ex nihilo, that great Latin phrase of nothing, we're gonna consider that. And then we're gonna consider creation by the word of his power, what that means. Then we're gonna go creation in the space of six days. That ought to be a fun one, right? That's that's always fun considering literal six days creation, right? And then all very good. That's gonna that's gonna finish off that one, how he created all things very good. And then, after we go there, we're going to go, how did God create man? God created man, male and female. That's relevant today, right? right. Okay, then after his own image, after his own image, we're going to go there. And then creating man in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And then finally finish off with dominion over the creatures. Okay, and I'm going to do my best to not offend anyone whenever... We're creating whenever we're going through all of these, but can't promise you anything. So, that's where we're going with it. But today we're going to kind of stick with just kind of an overview of creation or creation intro. And so I'm going to pose an additional question here, actually an additional two questions. The first one is, how do we know that creation has happened? Okay, this is easy. How do you know that creation has happened? We're yeah, we're here. All right. You can, you can see it. Right. We're actually we're here. So we, we know that creation has happened. So good. That's that's an easy one. We've kind of got our premises going and set the ball rolling here. You guys are good logicians. So I'm happy about that. Um, and so the question, the second question, then, how do we know that God created us and everything in the material universe? This one is not as easy as the first one, but it's still pretty easy. So how do we know that God created all this? Because he said, said he right. God himself told us so. He told us that he created these things. And so we're going to start, obviously, at the place where it seems obvious to start with creation is in Genesis 1.1. Right. So there's going to be a lot of Bible verses. I'm going to ask a lot of you to read some. And if you don't volunteer, I'll call you out. So volunteer quickly. But I'll read this first one. Genesis 1.1, you probably know it by heart, most of those kids back there too, but it's so powerful. It's such a foundational starting point here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So creation is such an important doctrine that God put it as the very first doctrine the very first doctrine in the document that he has given us as his self-revelation the Bible. So it's obviously a very important one. It's right there at the beginning, God says, in the beginning. So this is a quote from Louis Burkhoff, who I'm going to, who I based most of what today's lesson is on from his work. Um, I forgot to bring my book up here with me. It's out there. I have to go grab it in just a second. (coughs) So a quote from, from Burkhoff here. The narrative of creation is the beginning of God's self-revelation and acquaints us with the fundamental relation in which everything, man included, stands to him. It stresses the original position of man in order that men of all ages might have a proper understanding of the rest of Scripture as a revelation of redemption. So you see here that creation is foundational here. It's the very beginning of God's own self-revelation. And then what it does, it orients us or acquaints us with our relation to him and everything around us, right? So it tells us how we stand in front of God. It tells us what our relation is to him. It tells us what our position is within the created order and in our relation to the creator himself. So without really understanding this, you don't really understand the proper position of man. And you don't really understand what the rest of scripture and as revelation of redemption is really based upon, really. So God put it at the very beginning for a reason, in the beginning. And so this, the, the doctrine of creation itself, really, it's not just a, some sort of philosophical solution to why the world exists and why it exists and how it exists.
1: Although it
0: is, it does satisfy this, this philosophical explanation for why everything is what it is and how it is and why it's here. It's not just that you see it's it's actually the big portion of it is about ethics because it's a revelation of how we relate to God and you can debate ethics all you want to how we're supposed to relate to man. But ultimately it need, ethics needs to answer how we relate to God and creation is a philosophical solution to that question. How do we relate to God because the emphasis then is on the fact that, that God is the one that has created things. He is the origin of all things and if he's the origin of all things, then all of this belongs to him anyway. Right? And everything that's here is subject to him, us included. And so this can all be arrived at from logic and reason, absolutely can. But it can really only truly be understood properly when it's derived from Scripture and accepted by faith. And that may be questionable. But I'm going to show you from Scripture that that is actually true because if you turn to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, I'm going to ask someone to read verse 3 of Hebrews 11. So somebody read Hebrews 11, 3. By faith we understand that the created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of anything There we go. So, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Logic and reasons can get us there. It can, but it has to be truly accepted by faith. So, If it's accepted by faith, that gets us the full way of understanding how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. This is how we know that God made all things that are both visible and invisible. How we really know is by faith, by accepting the word of God. And so you see this throughout all of the church's history. You see it in the, the great patriarchs of the early church, and you see it especially emphasized in two of the, the four ancient great creeds. So uh, the Chalcedonian Creed and the Athanasian Creed are really more concerned about uh, Christological things and the nature of the Godhead. But the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed are more all-encompassing, right? And so both of them begin very similarly. And the Apostles' Creed, it begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I know that. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and Earth. So the Apostles Creed starts out just like Scripture starts out, in the beginning, God made. Okay? Nicene Creed the same way. Nicene Creed opens up. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. So there's a Nicene. Nicene, same thing. Genesis 1:1 in the beginning God created, and so the Nicene starts out the same way God created. Nicene also brings in what we just read in 11.3. He made all things visible and invisible. So this comes about in early church and the great creeds of the early church. We see this in the beginning. God created. And so there's obviously the scriptural support for the, the fact that God created I know I'm realizing I'm kind of preaching to the choir with this lesson, but that's fine. So you all need it anyway. Um, scriptural support for this is very extensive. You got the extensive treatment, obviously, in Genesis one and two, and it's all over the Psalms. It's all over. I mean, all over Isaiah. Um, a lot of the prophets get it, um, and all over the New Testament as well. And there's scriptural support really all over the entire Bible, and they all reference creation creation of time or in time as a fact of history. It's not just some philosophical idea. It is a fact of history, creation itself. It is something that has actually happened in space and actually happened in time or with time. We'll talk about that in a second. And it's not just some idea, but creation itself is a physical fact. Okay, so now we're going to go a bunch of scriptural passages And Burkha breaks these into five different types. And so I'm going to say them here. The first type are scriptural passages that relate, that talk about creation, that stress the omnipotence of God and the work of creation. So somebody go to Isaiah 40 and somebody go to Amos 4. Isaiah 40 and Amos 4. So stress, remember the category here, stress the omnipotence of God. Isaiah 40 and Amos 4. Somebody, add Isaiah 40, read verses 26 and 28. All right. Go for it. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out that host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, Because he is one power, not one is missing. Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. All powerful there, right? Who created these, brought out the host, talking about the stars there and the heavenly, the heavenly bodies up there. Who brings them out by number, calling them all by name. There are an almost unimaginable amount of stars and heavenly bodies out there, septillions of them. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power. He does not miss any of them. He created them all. He's everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary and His understanding of these things is unsearchable. You see how God is all-powerful here. It stresses that. And somebody read Amos 4.13. I can grab that. For behold, he who forms mountains (coughs) and creates the wind and declares to man what what are his thoughts, he who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. There you go. See, omnipotence again. Formed the mountains. It's going to be pretty powerful to form mountains. Mountains are powerful things. Creates the wind. That's an interesting one because the wind is mysterious. right? You can't really see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. You don't really know where the wind comes from. So he displays his power in creating the wind. Makes the morning darkness. Also, very powerful. He declares to man what is his thought. Ooh, that's interesting. He knows our thoughts. That's scary, but powerful. All right, that was the first one the, the category that, of creation that stresses the omnipotence of God. The second kind of category of scripture about creation that points to his exaltation above nature as the great and infinite God. So, someone go to Psalm 90. Someone, Psalm 102, and somebody to Acts 17. Psalm 90, verse 2, if someone's there. Right now, these verses point to his exaltation above nature as the great and infinite God. So nine, Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth. Wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So this one's kind of pointing out that everlasting to everlasting. This is talking about how God is outside of time, which we'll consider in just a second. So he's above nature in creating it, and he's infinite. Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. There you go. So, same thing. He laid the foundations of the earth. He's infinite. He's above the work of creation. Everything is going to perish, but God is going to remain. He's going to stay the same forever and ever, and His years have no end. And then lastly, Acts 17, verses 24 through 26. This is Paul talking, remember, to the philosophers of Athens. So, verses uh, 24 through 26. I got it. The God who made the world and everything in he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by him, neither is he served by human hands, and although and though he needs anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things, from one man he has made every nationality to live under the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. There we go. So God is above and exalted above nature. You see it here in Paul's argument. Third category refers to the wisdom of God in creation. So the wisdom of God. Um, Let's see, Isaiah 40. Someone go there. Isaiah 40. And then someone else go to John 1. Someone's in Isaiah 40. Read verses 12 and 13. Who is the of the from the of the sand, and earth and, the mountains, in scales, and the hills in the mountains Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? There you go. Isaiah forty. Catherine, I skipped one. Can you go to Jeremiah ten too? In John one. Somebody can read John one verse verse three while Catherine's going there. Jeremiah 10 verses 12 through 13. It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. When He utters His voice, there is tumult of water from the heavens, and He makes mist rise from the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and He brings forth the wind from storehouses. Yeah, established the world by His wisdom and by His understanding stretched out the heavens, and then John 1 3. Okay. It's talking about Jesus here, right? All things are made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Next category, the verses that emphasize God's sovereignty and his purpose. Just one here, Isaiah 43. I'm already right here. I'll go ahead and read that one. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So you see, God's calling out all these people to bring back his people that he has made because he is sovereign over all things. And he creates, he has a purpose for all things. And then the last category, creation as a fundamental act of God. So last one here, Colossians 1. Someone get Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. There we go. So this is a fundamental act of God. This is talking about Jesus again, obviously. (laughs) So there's many, many other passages again. Many other passages that relate to this. There's talk about how the people of Israel, after they return from exile, they begin their confession of sin like this. This is one of the most beautiful passages about creation in Scripture. This is in Nehemiah. Nehemiah nine. Verse six, the Nehemiah nine, six. This is where, like I said, the Israelites have returned from exile. And this is how they begin their confession of sin. They're in their public confession of sin here in Nehemiah nine. In Nehemiah nine, they begin their confession here in verse six. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. <laughs> so beginning a confession of sin by declaring God is the one that has made all things. And so then, Burkhov's gives us definition of creation. This is I really like this, this definition here. This is his definition. That free act of God, whereby he, according to his sovereign will and for his own glory, in the beginning brought forth the whole visible and invisible universe without the use of preexistent material and thus gave it an existence distinct from his own and yet always dependent upon him. We'll read that one more time. So this is Burkhoff's definition of creation. That free act of God, whereby he, according to his own sovereign will and for his own glory, in the beginning... Brought forth the whole visible and invisible universe without the use of pre existent material, and thus gave it an existence distinct from his own and yet always dependent upon him. And so. It is 10 o'clock already, and that is where I was planning on stopping, and I have, I'm only halfway done what <laughs> I was wanting to do. So we're actually going to push everything else I had until next week, um, and that'll give us an extra week, and I'm sure no one's going to argue with me about that. Um, yeah, my whole point at the end was going to be all of this, God creates all these things for his own glory and for the purpose of us seeing all of this and worshiping him. And so uh, we're going to read a psalm next week at, to, to emphasize that, which is Psalm 148. You know what? We're going, we're going to go ahead and read that right now. We'll read that again next week, too. So Psalm 148, because, it, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's so great. And it's going to evoke worship in your heart and it's going to lead us into the worship service by just considering creation as an act that God has done for his own glory and for the purpose of the creation, his creatures worshiping him. So here it is. Read this, and this is how we'll finish, and then we'll read it again next week and consider some other aspects of creation. So Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mists, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. I think we can all say Amen to that. So as you go.